0: So anyway, uh, we've been th- going through this series, 1 Thessalonians. You know, the last th- several weeks, we've looked at the rapture when Jesus comes back. And I saw a, a T-shirt uh, about the Chicago Cubs that I so wished I would have seen in this series because I would have used it. And you know what? When you're ADD, you just, you just force it in. So I want to tell you about that T-shirt. It, it, it says, the question is, it has a Chicago Cubs logo. And it says, what did Jesus tell the Chicago Cubs? Don't do anything till I come back. <laughs> and so far, they've been like obedient. <laughs> so today, I want to talk to you about, about this issue about that Paul talked to the church there in Thessalonica about this issue about having a positive attitude. In fact, it is the importance of having a positive attitude, that if a church is going to be a church that is a dynamic church that reaches into a community and to where you see dry bones singing as one, to where you see that, that... It'll be a church that is a positive church. It'll be made up of people who are positive. Now listen, I know and I understand there are some people and just by nature they're bent to be kind of critical or have a sour disposition or they're kind of a cynic or they're kind of negative and and that they always kind of see the bad in everything or they always kind of see the negative in every situation. And I totally get that and I understand that. But what Paul is talking about here is that when we see that God is sovereign, when we see that God is in control, that everything works together for our good. And that a church that is dynamic is like positive. I mean, there's a story about these duck hunters and, and, uh, and they, they love to hunt together, but, but one of the guys, he was just negative. It didn't matter what the other guy did. I mean, it didn't matter the shotgun he bought. He could always find something wrong with a gun. He could find something wrong with his decoys. He could find something wrong with the duck blind. And so this guy decided, you know what? It is my goal that I am going to do something that he will not be critical about or, 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 or pick on. And so he went out and found the most amazing bird dog ever. It was a bird dog that could actually walk on water. It was, it was expensive, and so he buys this bird dog, and, and he cannot wait to take his buddy, his critical friend, uh, hunting. And so they, they load up the guns and the duck blinds and all of that decoys or, and, and all that other stuff, and they, you know, ducks come over, and they shoot ducks, and he could not wait, and so he just gave his dog the sign, and his dog went out. Amazing thing, his dog did not sink. He walked on water. The fact is, he left paw prints across the water. He went, picks up the ducks, heads back in, and, and so he's like looking at his critical friend like, is he going to say that? He didn't say anything. And so sure enough, more ducks came. They shot them, and duck did, the, the bird dog did the same thing. And so they got their limit. They loaded up. They're in the truck. They're headed home. And so the guy couldn't. He, he was about to bust. He, he could not stand it. And so he looks over at his critical friend and says, hey, what would you think about my bird dog? Did you not notice it? Yeah, I saw your dog. What did you think about it? Your dog can't swim. <laughs> there are some people just by nature, they're like negative. And you know, since, since we're on this duck hunting stuff, I'm going to tell you another one, and I probably shouldn't, but when you're ADD, you just can't help yourself. And so there, there, was, there was this guy that, that him and his buddy, they hunted ducks as well. And so he discovers a new way to hunt ducks. You didn't even need a gun. And so he told his buddy, he says, hey, Saturday morning, you know, let's, let's go duck hunting and, and don't bring a gun. Bring the decoys and, and bring the boat and all that other stuff. But, but do not bring a gun because we don't need a gun. I've learned a new way of duck hunting. And so they get out there. They get in their blinds. The first uh, group of, of ducks come over. And, and he stands up. He says, watch this. He stands up and he finds a duck and they make eye contact. And then he gives the meanest, the ugliest face he could give. Scared the duck to death. The duck died. Just falls right out of the sky. His friend says, that's amazing. You think I could do that? He goes, yeah. He said, it's easy. Just find a duck. Make eye contact with it. Just give it the meanest, ugliest face you can. And it'll scare it is scared to death. It would kill it. And he did it. And it worked. They get their limit. They're on their way in. He says, you know what? That's amazing. I could bring my wife to something like this. You ever bring your wife? He goes, boy, I wish I could. She just tears the meat up way too bad. Laughter. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, I mean, that's just, that's, that may get me in trouble, but that is like funny stuff. And so there are some people, listen, there are some people that they are critical by the tongue, by the things that they say. They're cynic They're negative. They don't look at themselves even when you confront them and say, hey, you're pretty critical here. uh, They're like, you know what? No, I just kind of, I'm can. i a problem identifier. I mean, I just see those kinds of things. But you know what? There's some people, and they're critical by a look, right? I mean, in fact, the scripture says there's six things that God hates in Proverbs, and one of those is a haughty eyes. Now, haughty eyes is this, is to where someone has those cutting eyes, and when they look at you, you know they're just looking down on you. You know they're judging you. You know, for some way, some reason, you don't measure up, whether it's in any area. And so there are some people, whether it's with their tongue or whether it's with their eyes or body language, that they can be very, very negative. Now, listen, Paul is writing to this church here in Thessalonica, and he's talking to them. See, he's talking to them about a positive attitude. Now, listen, I am so thankful this morning. I am preaching this sermon not in correction to you, not in rebuke to you, Because we've got a positive church. But as warning that we can never let this stuff creep in, it'll destroy us. It'll destroy any church. The the church in Thessalonica, they had it going on. And they were reaching a lot of people. So three instructions that Apostle Paul gave this church that he gives to us as well, just as a warning, is this, that if we're going to be a dynamic church, we're going to be a positive church, we have to have a posture of respect for our leaders. We have to have a posture of respect for the leaders that serve in the local church. Here's what he says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 12. We ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are o- and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, today, unfortunately, our culture has a lot of time with respecting spiritual leaders. I mean, if you if you take those those look at those surveys about what are the most credible Professions are the ones, the, the most respectable professions. Uh, pastors are, are, I mean, they're in the bottom four. I think there's many reasons why we live in a day and time that people have a hard time respecting spiritual leaders. One is it just kind of goes along with the spirit of this world that we don't respect anyone. And we're not going to respect anybody that is over us. We're not going to respect our political leaders I mean, late-night talk show hosts, they make lots of money ridiculing and making fun of a president. So we're not going to respect anyone. We're going to, we're going to make fun of, of elected officials. We're going to laugh about them. Uh, we're going to make jokes about them. We're going to, we're going to talk about them. We're not, going to make, we're, we're not going to respect maybe a boss. We're not going to respect maybe a supervisor. Because it's just kind of the spirit of this age that, you know what? I'm my own person. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And, and you know what? I don't have to respect anyone. So, so disrespect for spiritual leaders just kind of is a byproduct of that because we live in a day and time when we just don't respect anyone. I think there's another reason that we don't respect spiritual leaders, and that is because so many have violated our trust. I mean, we know that with political uh, 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 figures and and other people that hold elected offices, that, that they have violated our trust. I mean, they have broken our hearts. They, they weren't men or women of integrity. They weren't who they said they were. But the same thing has happened in the church, right? I mean, we hear the stories all the time of, of the pastor that embezzled some money, or the pastor that abused, or the, the pastor that had the affair and split the church. Or, and, and it goes on and on. But, but, and it happens in other professions as well. But what happens is, is the news does not report the thousands and thousands and thousands of pastors that fulfill their calling, that lead with great integrity, great humility, and they take their calling seriously. You see, the press jumps on, and it doesn't matter if it's an elected official, it doesn't matter if it's a police officer, police officer goes bad, then the, what does the community do? You, you, lift, you, you, you talk about them, you laugh about them, and then you stereotype all police, you, you lump all police officers in that. You, you lump all elected officials in that. And people do the same thing with the local church. I think another thing is, is because sometimes leaders correct you or admonish you is what Paul says. See, we love the scriptures where God sees it our way. We love those scriptures where God just sees it our way. Yeah, it makes sense to me, and God just sees it our way. But where people push back is when God doesn't see it your way. And people don't want to change their lifestyle, and people don't want to make decisions, and so they just kind of push back because it makes them uncomfortable because nobody's going to tell me how to live. Nobody's going to, going to, going to talk to me like that. I just view God just kind of seeing everything my way. It happened to Jesus there, and his first sermon that he ever preached, Luke chapter 4. Jesus goes into a synagogue. The culture is, it's all Jewish, okay? That's important for the story. And so he goes into the synagogue, and, and it became his turn, and he, he, he reads out of the book of Isaiah. And he talks about Elisha, when Elisha, uh, Naaman, when Elisha heals a leper. And they're good with that. And then Jesus says, the day will come. When Gentile lepers will be healed. He spoke into their racism. They didn't like Gentiles. They wouldn't touch a Gentile because they've seen as unclean. See, God didn't see things the same way they saw things, and so they pushed back. And so, you know what they did? They shot the messenger. Most amazing story in, 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 in the Gospel of Luke. is so they take Jesus, and I took a group to Israel, and we stood at this this, this, this point, and they, took him, and they took him out to the brow of the cliff, intending what Scripture says to push him over to kill him. Interesting thing. The Scripture then says that Jesus slowly walked through the crowd having nothing more to do with them. Why? Why? You can't lead people like that. You can't help people like that. See, we live in a time sometimes why people don't respect spiritual leaders is because sometimes they preach hard stuff. Sometimes they correct. Sometimes they admonish and it makes people uncomfortable. There's another reason I think people don't respect spiritual leaders is because they're leaders in their field. They're used to calling all the shots. They're used to making the rules. They're used to everybody answering to them, so then they come into the local body. They have trouble humbling themselves and not criticizing everything that goes on or coming under the authority of someone else. Uh, many years ago, I, with a group of guys from our church, well, some were from our church, some weren't, weren't uh, we rafted 10 days through, through the, the Grand Canyon. I mean, we were doing class 10s and... I mean, unbelievable, with the raft folds in half, and we have these. And so uh, I was asking one of the river rats, and that's not a derogatory term. They call themselves that. The, it's, the, it's the river guides. So I asked one of the river rats, I said, hey, what's the most difficult thing about your job? He said, I'll tell you what the most difficult thing is, is pretty much the only people that go on a trip like this is type A personalities and trying to tell them what to do. Because every evening you've got to unload a boat, you've got to load a boat, you got to, uh, I mean, you set up camp, you break camp. And he says, Try it. fact is, one of the most brilliant guys on the trip, uh, a famous heart surgeon, broke his leg on day one because no river rat was going to tell him where to sit. Sometimes I think that that's the reason people have trouble in the local church is because they don't want anyone telling them what to do. And they're a leader in other fields. That's why Paul says to respect those who labor among you. Yes, you need to be discerning of false prophets. Yes, you need to be discerning of of lazy leaders. But you also need to recognize leaders whose God hand is on. Where they take their calling seriously and they lead with transparency and they lead with integrity. You don't bow down and worship them. You don't ever question them. But when you do, it's with grace. It's still with respect, and not being mean spirited and mean. That's why Hebrews says this thirteen seventeen: Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as though who, as those who will give an account. You realize that you will not give an account for anything that goes on in this church, any decision this church makes. The leaders will. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be an advantage to you. In other words, as long as they're leading you that lines up with Scripture and it's biblical, follow them. So many times we get kind of messed up with, look, and things get, lines get blurred. It's not about your preferences. It's not about your likes. It's not about your dislikes. So many times people will say, you know what, well, I think my preferences are theology. I think my preference are biblical doctrine. and It is not. And so what he's saying is, is that we line up with them and we stick, up, we stick up for them. Man, behind their backs. In other words, we don't ridicule them. We don't criticize them. We don't make fun of them. We don't gossip about them. Verse 19, we'll get to it in a little bit, but let me just drip it in here. He gives a warning. He says, do not quench the spirit. Now, listen, there's some of you that you come maybe from a spiritual background where you believe that that admonition, that, that scripture was for you personally, that you personally can quench the spirit in your life. That's not what that is talking about. See, he's writing that to the whole church. Do you realize your attitude can quench the, the spirit of a church, can quench the spirit of a family, can quench the spirit of a marriage? When you become crit- critical... When you become bitter, when you become cynical, and nobody can make you happy, and you always see the negative, you always see the bad, and there's never any encouragement, I will never forget this. Uh, 97, I was invited to preach or speak at a leadership banquet here in Pueblo, Colorado church. I won't tell you the church. Uh, and uh, the ch- our church was exploding. They said would The pastor said, would you come and you just speak to our leaders? I said, sure. And so I went, and, and I was kind of excited about that. And so this, this, this elderly lady, I looked at her like my grandmother, uh, met me at the door, and she says, are, are you the guest? Are you the guest speaker? And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, would you sit with me? And I said, I'd love to. Because you know what? I'm not into that whole deal where the pastors sit at the head table. I hate that. We'll never do that here. I hate those, those dividing lines between those who are in ministry and those who are not. And so I said, I'd love to. And so she said, well, great. i got a group of my friends who would love to sit with you. And let me tell you something. From the salad to the dessert, she trashed me the whole time. I mean, she says, you know what? I can't believe we're having you speak here. You're a Presbyterian. I don't know what she had against Presbyterians, but obviously she hated them. Because she's like, I said, ma'am, I'm not a Presbyterian. Yes, you are. You're trying to hide it. You don't want anybody to know. And, And she says, I visited your church incognito. I still do not know what that means. And she says, and then she started on, I, I hate that rock that goes on there. And I hate that music that goes on there. And she's talking about drum beats, drumming up Satan and stuff like that. And it got kind of weird. And, and so, you know, and, and I'm telling you, it's all so like, wow. And so I like, and I get to speak in a second. And so, you know, and it made the table uncomfortable. It made the whole room uncomfortable because people could hear her because she talked loud. And you know what? When I got up, I didn't want to be there. And it was flat. There were, it, was, it was so tense in that room. You realize you can quench the spirit of a church. You can keep God from moving in a church and a family by your attitude. Never forget Clark Harbaugh. Clark and, and Evagene Harbaugh. He was a retired American Baptist pastor. Came to our church in 1995. He was in his late 70s and stayed with us for about 10 years. And in those early days when I was learning to preach, and it was just, you know, there's no other way to put it. It was just horrible. I didn't even want to hear myself preach. I mean, it was bad. And uh, after every service, Clark would, would find a way to encourage me. And, he'll, and well, he knows, I've talked to him, but he, he did so much to encourage me instead of criticize me or make fun of me or talk about me. I remember one time I preached a sermon that he obviously didn't agree with, and, and so what he said afterwards he said, Hey, Charlie, I just want you to know that was, that was great. That was just an interesting way you approached that scripture. <laughs> so, okay, I know what you mean. Uh, but I would never will forget the time they said, You know what, Charlie, I, I, I got to tell you, I hate the music. I just hate the rock. I hate the music. I like hymns. I like hymns. Just with a piano, nothing more. And he says, but I got to tell you, I worship the very best I can in your church. And when I'm clapping, I'm clapping you guys on because nobody else is willing to reach the next generation. Nobody. Every church in Pueblo is getting older and older and older. And I have learned, it is not about my preference. It's not about my likes, my dislikes. It's about the word, and it's about the gospel. He says, you know what? I can play hymns at home and worship to that it's not up to you You and I say yeah and Clark I'll buy you the top 100 organ hits as well (laughs) if there is such a thing (laughs) the reason a lot of churches aren't reaching the younger generation is they're not willing to step out of their comfort zone and reach them and to put up with all the criticism that comes with that. Second thing is this, is that we're going to be a positive church. Uh, we We should be patient with one another. I mean, in other words, that we should learn to have patience with with one another. Paul says in verse 14, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the fainthearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now listen, I'm going to shoot you straight, and I'm going to tell you honestly, I have met some of the most cynical, mean-spirited Christians, professed believers, that are just judgmental, that are mean-spirited, that are bitter, that are hateful, to where I could sit there and say, you know what, I know full-blown lost people that treat people better than the way in which you treat people. And these people are just like these negative cynics to where they come to the point, I think, to where they really believe that, um, that criticism is a spiritual gift. It's something given by God, and they're like they're they're like one. And then you confront these people, and they're like, you know what? No, I just got this spiritual gift. I'm like, yeah, we need to kiss it, uh, kick it out of you. I can I can just I just have this critical thinking spirit that I can always find what is wrong. And you know, I'm going to tell you this: not only do they quench the spirit in a church, they quench a spirit in a marriage. they quench your spirit in a home they quench the spirit in a workplace because everything about them is what is wrong with someone else it's amazing to me how cutting some christians can be about into one another listen to the conversation sometime with some other believers and see where it goes see what they begin to talk about parents let me tell you something No matter how much you disagree with a decision I make, no matter how uncomfortable it makes you, a sermon that I preach or a scripture that I use, be very, very careful about criticizing me to your church, uh, to your family. Be very, very careful about criticizing our church to your children. The day will come. Do not let it surprise you. They will have the same issues with the church as you do. The day will come, and I've seen it. It's happened in my ministry. The day will come when your children will grow up and you're going to want me to speak a word into their life, and I will not be able to because you have quenched the Spirit, and they know mom and dad do not respect him. Mom and dad do not respect that church. They go to that church. I don't know why because all they do is talk about that church. All they do is criticize. They criticize every leader. They criticize every sermon. They criticize every worship service. Man, let me tell you something. You can quench the spirit of a church and a family. Oh, and there's some people who say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. That's harmless. It's just talking. It's harmless. Let me tell you something. Two weeks ago, uh, Karen, my wife, was, was witnessing to someone, met someone in the community, a female. And so she's like witnessing to her and talking to her. And this lady had a dysfunctional life, needed God horribly in her life in a local church. And so Karen, of course, did not tell her going into this that I'm a pastor's wife because sometimes it gets weird. Uh, you know, there's the, the, the stereotypes of pastor's wives, and my wife breaks like every stereotype there is of a pastor's wife. And so it got to the point when my wife was, was talking with her and says, you know what, why don't you come and be a guest of mine to my church? She says, what church do you go to? She says, Fellowship the Rockies. She says, oh. I know someone that attends your church, and they're there like every Sunday, and they volunteer in a ministry in your church. Let me, tell you, let me tell you what they've told me about your church. And she sat there and gave my wife a laundry list of what was wrong with me, what was wrong with our church, what we need to change, what we need to do differently, and she'll never attend our church. See, we think it could be harmless. We think it's a sign of maturity, Paul would say it's a sign of immaturity. Paul would say, Your kids are listening. Your friends are listening. That's why Paul said in verse 13, Be at peace among yourselves. Then he goes on, Admonish the, the, the idle. In other words, those who are, are, are quitters. Or, in other words, he says, Don't talk about them behind their back. Don't gossip about them. Don't criticize them behind their back. Go to them. Go to them face-to-face. Have a conversation and do it with respect. Encourage the faint-hearted. In other words, encourage those who are insecure. Encourage those who are having some struggles. Help the weak. That would be like the legalists that needed rules and regulations to follow. They were comfortable with that. Well, help them that understand that there is freedom in Christ. Help those who are weak and make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong. You see, the world pays back wrong for wrong, right? Jesus is the one that said, they will know that you are mine. They will know that you are followers of mine. How? If you love one another. See, the Bible says you don't overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. You overcome evil without quenching the the Spirit, and you try to be kind with one another. Sometimes it's just so discouraging to me to see people in, in church and, and they hear the word and they just like never put it into practice. The word never makes a difference in the way they treat a husband or a wife or family or the relationships around them. They sit through a worship service and they worship God and then they walk out and they're cutting and they're critical, and they're mean, and they're judgmental. They know the Bible backwards and forwards, and they treat their family like dirt, like everybody's beneath them. Paul said, you can quench the Spirit. For me, that is so sobering. My tongue... How I treat others. Colossians three twelve through fifteen says, "Put on them, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against the other, oh, here's how we handle it: forgive. You know why some people are cynics, critical, bitter, angry, unforgiveness." They refuse to forgive. They're just not going to forgive anyone. And that's why he goes on and says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also what? You must forgive. Some people that end up late in life that are just mean and chewing out a pastor. Are you speaking at a leadership banquet? (laughs) They didn't intend for their life to end that way. And they have no joy because they've lived a life of unforgiveness. And when it takes root, Scripture says that it's a, it's a bitter root that grows up to defile many, all the relationships. And so let's move on. And so, and above all things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then watch this, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That means to let it dwell that means for it to be poured down and, and take root to where it just, it naturally just flows out of you. In other words, it's not something you have to work up. It's not something you have to force. And he said, don't just hear it. Just let it dwell. The last thing is this, is, is that if we're going to be a positive church, then uh, we should be positive in all circumstances. Here's what Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. So two times uh, Paul says this, for this is the will of you, of God for you. Everybody's looking for the will of God. He says, well, here it is twice. Uh, Pray in all circumstances, all situations. Pray continuously and then give thanks in all circumstances. He says, that's God's will for you. Have a life of gratitude, what God has done for you. If you can't have gratitude for God, then you cannot have gratitude for anyone else. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies but test everything, hold fast to what is good. And so there's many people that will say, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute, okay, so I'll, I'll be positive when all the circumstances are going my way, when my finances are, are going well, and when my job is going well, and the kids are going well, and my marriage is going well, and the economy's going well, and, and vacations are going well. And, and, but here, here's what I've learned. For me, maybe you're different. I've never had all those things going well at the same time. If that's your philosophy, you'll never be positive. You'll never be positive. Fact is, the scripture would tell you, it is not your circumstances that make you unhappy. It's your attitude. Your circumstances have nothing to do with it. When I have just a high view of the sovereignty of God. That everything that I go through, even if it's hurtful, even though it's painful, is for my good. There are some circumstances that I've gone through that brought me great hurt and pain that I wouldn't want to go through again. But I'm telling you what, it worked something into my life that I am so thankful of. It is not your circumstances. What is your attitude? And watch this, Paul goes in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned, this is so refreshing to us because it's a learned behavior. This is something we don't get Naturally. Okay, so for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And watch this I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You know how you get a positive attitude regardless of circumstances? Trusting in God. Having a high view of God to understand, you know what? He's working this for my good. Now, sometimes he wants to work in you the ability to speak up for yourself, to say this isn't right, to take a stand in a respectful way, to take control of your life. So you know what? There are some people, you're just victims of your circumstances. There are some things you know you need to say to some people around you. But you're not because you just become a victim of your circumstances. And we can do that, but we could do that in a respectful way. Ephesians 4, 29 through 30 says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And watch this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now listen, in the Greek construction of do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, it really means this, because they had a different situation in Ephesians. They, They were quenching the Spirit. It's like stop grieving God. Stop it now. Just stop it. They were already doing it. In Thessalonians, he was warning them to never do it. But here's the interesting thing. That word, uh, and do not grieve in the Greek, you know what that means? To make sad. To break one's heart. To hurt one. You can hurt God's heart? Yeah. Why? Because you're hurting his children. You're hurting the ones that he gave his life for. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Nothing threatens the life of a church than a spirit of criticism, and a critical spirit, in gossip, and lying, and slander. Do not quench the spirit. That word quench means to Literally, to throw a bucket of water on. It was talking about how to put out a campfire. You um, put on the full armor of God and and, and talk about the shield, quench the, the fiery darts of Satan. It was putting water on. That's why sometimes you can talk about what God is doing in your life, you can talk about what God is doing in church, and someone comes along, that critical spirit, and douses it. Oh, let me tell you where I disagree with them. Let me tell you what's really going on in their life. Let me tell you their motives. And what Paul is saying, man, give thanks in every circumstance. And have a positive attitude. I think he would have said it like this. Let's go and just be the red side of the battery. For those of you that do not know, that's the positive side. <laughs> I'll be careful with car analogies from now on out. But Paul would say, let's just go be the, pos- the red side of the battery. Let's just go be the positive side of the battery. And I'm telling you this, if you're willing to do that, I promise you, your life will change. Your relationships will change. Your circle of influence will change. Some of you this morning, you just need to accept him. You don't have a relationship with him. You may have been religious. You may may have done the rituals and the rules and the regulations. But scripture says it's having a relationship with him. And that you may need just to accept him and ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins and give you the newness of eternal life. Dry bones, living, singing as one. Some of you. And Your, your takeaway maybe from, to, from today, you need to be positive. I am so thankful for the church that I serve in. Uh, this last week, a, a bank officer from one of the banks in town and, and called me and just said he, said, he said, you know, I run into so many of your members, and they're so positive about the church. They're so positive about what's going on there. And it's unbelievable the number of people that I meet that are just quality people and just positive people. And he says, I understand from them that you're outgrowing your space. And I go, well, we're going to move people service to service, right? And so... Uh, <laughs> And he says, I got a couple of buildings that that we need to liquidate and maybe we could make a deal. And he was discouraged or couldn't believe that they're just not big enough for us. The testimony of our church is strong in this community. And that's why God's hand, that's one of the reasons God's hand is on this place. Let's never, never end up the way that the Ephesians church ended up. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? And let me ask you this morning what is God saying to you? What is God saying to you as a result of this message and then, and then you know what? How should you respond?